Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. My guest on today's episode is the stylist Ariane Phillips. As well as being Madonna's stylist and working on her last five costume tours, she has worked with Lenny Kravitz, Courtney Love, No Doubt and Justin Timberlake. She's received two Oscar nominations for Walk the Line and WE and a BAFTA nomination for A Single Man. She says she will only take on projects that scare her. She recently designed the costumes for an opera production of Marnie and has just finished work on Quentin Tarantino's new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hi, Ariane. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us um, at Freeze Los Angeles, the art fair. And it's a sunny day today. At last, we have (laughs) weather. It's been... When did you get here? I live here. So you've been here all week? Yes, I've been here all week. I mean, we really appreciate the rain, so thank you, Matches, for bringing it. We need it. (laughs) It's been very hot and apocalyptic here for the last few years, so the rain has been really a godsend. I'm sorry for the inconvenience, but um, I think we, you know, just made you feel at home being from London. We like to do our our bit to help. Um, So have you had a look around the fair? I... I actually just started to, and I look forward to spending the whole day here today. Are you into art? Do you collect or view? Um, I am into art. I love art. Art is the wellspring of inspiration and always has been. Um, visual art especially, it's, uh, it's the lifeblood that really inspires ideas and um, creativity. So absolutely, um, I particularly love photography. So um, I have my own little bit of photography collection that I have, and paintings, small paintings, and oh, which I'm, photographers do you collect? Um, well, I don't. I'm not a proper collector. I just uh, I'm lucky having worked in fashion, and that I have beautiful photographs from photographers I've worked with over the years, from Stephen Klein to Tom Monroe to Mark Seliger. Um, I have a Cartier-Bresson, and I have an Argus Sander, wow. and um, I have a Lee Miller, so wow. I have a couple nice, and I have a, a relative, a cousin of mine, who has been a chair of the photography department at CalArts, amazing artist Joanne Callis, um, and I have one of her beautiful works. I have a gorgeous piece from Tierney Giron, amazing artist, photographer. So the format of this podcast is, um, the idea of it is that at five Carlos Place in London, there's a cabinet in the attic. I saw it. Which it's you've incredible. seen. Yeah, with and all the ephemera. Yeah, so everybody who comes on this podcast talks about five things. And then the idea is that they are housed in the cabinet. Um, and so that people who visit five Carlos Place can then come and see the pieces and hear the podcast. And Wonderful. Hear the person talking about them. Wonderful. So I was, maybe one of the things that you'd want to put in is a piece of photography, like the Lee Miller or... A Stephen Klein photograph. 
Yeah, well, you know, I think where my love for photography came from is magazines, really. And I think the magazine, there are two magazines that had the most influence, or three magazines that had the most influence on me in term and in terms of inspired me to want to work in fashion and eventually in film. Um, and that would be uh, an art magazine from Los Angeles called Wet from the 80s. That was a very niche, um, a niche kind of, uh, underground magazine, very cool, wet magazine. Um, and my uncle, who's an artist and a photographer, had got me a su subscription at about 14. It was quite provocative, and um, I thought it was really, really interesting. It was, uh, it, it really, I grew up in Northern California, and it really kind of piqued my interest. And then um, shortly after that, I was really into NME Magazine, which is a, a New Musical Express, which was a pop magazine. Um, not glossy, kind of, um, it was a music magazine from London, and it was like um, newsprint, and I devoured, what we, had, we would get them in our local record shop, and they'd be three or four months old by the time we got them in California, um, back in the late 70s when I was a teenager, and I would devour them page to page, and then when I was done with them, I would often cut them up and put them all over my walls. And that time period, um, NME and um, really, really changed my trajectory in terms of my interest in, in um, fashion and music, which has always been kind of the ground zero for who I am today. So NME was a big deal. And then um, it Do they was still publish wet? Uh, no, Wet. Wet was a short-lived um, kind of art underground, cool scene magazine in LA. Do you, do you have, have? Did you keep the copy? I believe I have a copy. Um, I that don't go have, in the cabinet. Yeah, definitely. I don't have a copy of any of the enemies, but we could probably wrangle one up. Um, and then I quickly um, graduated to the Face magazine in the '80s, which completely, wholly. Um, changed my life and focused me on kind of the world ID and uh, face magazine. And I actually still have my face magazine collections. There's probably too many magazines to ship to London, but I, I can certainly find a couple that yeah. um, that I have with uh, notes in them and, and yeah. drawings and scribbles and stuff. So that was, they were my Bible. So that really informed me to want to work in fashion. And um, did you and know what else did you know you wanted to be a stylist because i think a style the term stylist is a relatively new term isn't it before well, then it was not really a job apart from those sort of traditional fashion editor roles at magazines yeah it was just becoming um a proper term i think in the 80s when um i became aware of the job you know of course stylist people thought hair stylist um but a fashion stylist uh, was an extension of, of a fashion editor. So um, I actually learned about fashion styling from looking at the work of Mitzi Lawrence and Ray Petrie, um, early stylists, uh, London stylists. Uh, Ray Petrie, of course, very famous. Mitzi Lawrence. Um, and what they were doing, Judy Blame had a huge influence on me and Judy's work with Mondino, Jean-Baptiste Mondino, who lucky for me, I ended up being able to work with later in my career. But these are the people, and specifically London, that informed me to pursue this crazy career slash lifestyle. Um, 
that wasn't for, and it really was about the mashup of music and street fashion mm -hmm. and street art and everything that kind of converged on the streets of London that was so exotic. And I wasn't interested in New York when I was a kid growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I really, my, I had my eye on London and that was really my dream. And that's really what informed me and, and how there's a seamless relationship between fashion and music and um, self-expression just um, was everything for me. So you went to New York in the 80s? I did, I moved to New York in 1985. What was it like then? Um, it was dirty, it was grimy, it was fairly dangerous. Um, it was exciting um, for me and also incredibly intimidating. But um, I had um, been going to, to college in uh, Northern California, in San Francisco, and um, quickly felt that it was provincial for, and I needed to go to, the, to a much bigger city. So New York, you know, I think my dream was always to go to London and New York was kind of going to be a pit stop on my way to London. I would have gone to London and my dream was to go, to go to St. Martin's College. However, it was um, prohibitively expensive for me. I didn't have the kind of resources. What did your parents do when you were um, My father is an English teacher, and he um, specialized in teaching poets, poetry in the schools. Um, and also, on the passion side, was a jazz musician. My mother, um, for many years was an artist who, who didn't, um, there are many years she had, we moved around a lot. My parents are incredibly artistic and bohemian and um, really, uh, you know, I think I got my, a lot of my influence from them in terms of my exposure to, I know I did, in, in terms of art and music. And they had me quite young. Um, my mom was 21 and my dad was 24. And um, they really kind of grew up in this youth culture movement of the 60s and dragged my sister and I along through it in the best possible way. We were exposed to all kinds of people from all walks of life. We moved around a lot. Uh, my father had many different jobs of which he taught in different capacities. And my mom, um, for a good, when I was little, she, she worked in odd jobs and then um, in the kind of the formative in my formative years, um, her and my father bought this old kind of. We moved out of the city and we moved to the countryside, um, north of, in the wine country, north of San Francisco, and um, they bought an old broken down resort, and they fixed it up and rented it out, and we kind of just they lived this lifestyle where they wrote all day. They're both writers, and they had their writers groups and their poetry groups and. Um, they're very active in the community, and they their job was really running these different cabins that they had converted into rentals. Um, so it was a very fluid uh, experience as a kid. My parents were very involved in uh, my education, and I went to a lot of what they called alternative schools, and it was very experimental time. What do they think of your career? Well, it's funny because uh, we never had a television in our house. It was banned. And um, matter of fact, when I was a kid, I, I desperately wanted a Barbie doll. That was when I was young and my mom 
was against me having a Barbie doll. Lucky for me, I had um, a grandfather who took pity on me and bought me a Barbie <laughs> doll. And, um, you know, I think my desire was to dress that Barbie doll and cut that Barbie doll's hair like many little girls. Um, that would become fortuitous, I guess, mm. in, in what I ended up doing for, for a career. But I was deprived, we shall say, of, of television. And um, I think the typical kind of makeup and toys. And, you know, my mom was... Um, a feminist and she was a, a bra burner and uh, we had a lot of education about equal rights so I while I I craved pop popular pop culture I was also being raised in a sort of pop culture movement because my parents were not alone they were like-minded with a lot of other people their age where we're kind of going back to the land so to speak moving out of the cities raising their children in a more holistic way, growing their own food, making their own bread. And I kind of rebelled. I wanted, you know, I wanted TV shows. I wanted mm. rock and roll music. Um, I wanted, you know, my parents, um, they were more into jazz than, than rock and roll, even though we went to a lot of rock concerts. But um, so they, they um, I think they were quite surprised. I think it was the rebel in me. But they are incredibly proud of me and really supportive and, um, and I think quite enjoy um, the perks of, of uh, you know, the successes that I've been able to have. So yeah. it's really, it's, it's great. So your, your first, one of your first successes was when you were in New York and you styled Lenny Kravitz for Let Love Rule, that Love Rule album. Yeah, that was really kind of my, um, my, my um, beginning of it all. Um, I had met Lenny through mutual friends and um, he came in, stayed at my house for a time. He was on the road playing drums for New Edition and Tina Marie and before he was Lenny Kravitz, the <laughs> musician. And we were just good friends and we were starting out and he was, we'd spend a lot of time together going we, in Soho in New York where we would like go to art galleries and we'd go hang out at Comme de Garçons, which was like an art gallery, this store in the 80s. And we would go to parties together and we would he would say, well, you'll be my style. I was assisting at the time and assisting other stylists. And he, I was just starting out in New York. And he would be like, well, when I record my record, you can be my stylist. So we kind of came up together. And lucky for me, there was like an energy that was happening at that time. In New York. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. So Lenny was, I was really fortunate because he's so talented. And his first album was so different. Did from he? That look that he's become known for, how much had he already, to what extent had he already arrived at that look? You know, Lenny's got incredible style and incredible yeah. taste. I mean, you you know, he plays every instrument on his album. He's, you know, he's one of the most creative human beings I've ever met. And he's aesthetic. He's also has a design studio. He's um, design and he's a photographer. I mean, he his creativity kind of, is like whatever he puts his hand to, he's he's good at. So I think the thing is, is that, you know, one thing I learned about working out with Lenny is that I do my best work when I work with, when I can meet eye to eye with someone whose aesthetic I align with. So together we are able to kind of elevate and, and go to places together and his willingness. And at the time we were just playing, you know, it was like, we, a lot of our influences in those early days was um, uh, like Michael Jackson, Earth, Wind & Fire, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin. It was just like this weird 
not weird, but it was a mashup of all this influence from our childhood, from like soul music to the guitar music of rock and roll to fashion. And we just, we we're friends. We had the similar tastes. So it is, it was organic. You know, it was super, super. Do you fun. still style him now? I'm not. I'm not actually. He, um, you know, we. I worked with him pretty much um, exclusively for the first couple records, and then I ended up moving to LA from New York, and you know, we've done stuff through the years together. We're friends. We keep in touch. I mean, his daughter I've known since she was born, and you know, it's just so amazing to see her yeah. become this great Sorry. artist. So you know, he is will forever be. You know, we're friends. We're we're like family, mm -hmm. and. Um, yeah, it's it's really. I feel incredibly would you, fortunate. Would you put something from those New York years into the cabinet? Yeah, you know, I might have something of Lenny's, or maybe I can borrow from him or something from that time. I'll look in yeah, my archive for sure. For sure, I have to ask his permission. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. You know, we started out with a mishmash of vintage clothes, and I just put a lot of women's clothes on him. Yeah. Um, just because. We wanted, um, you know, the silhouette that inspired us was that there's a, a Jackson 5 cartoon on Saturday mornings that we both used to remember as kids. And it was this kind of exaggerated, you know, flared like silhouette. Maybe so, we should put that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, there definitely um, is, I'll have to dig around him. I have that a, would be a little good. baby archive. Lenny Kravitz, like Feather Boa, or. Yeah, we'll see what we can find. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the thing I'll say about Lenny that also could go in the cabinet is that we both also were really informed by musicals, rock musicals like The Wiz or Cabaret, um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, these um, that exuberance of the 70s, the kind of emergence of, you know, the um, the free love movement of the of the music of like the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and Bob Dylan um, and that music along with the um, kind of cinema of the 70s and the musicals um, really really I know we had that in common a lot Rocky Horror which was about sexual revolution and ambiguity and you know that informed like ways that I dressed Lenny as well because he was willing to wear women's clothes and he's so masculine, so there's this wonderful mix. I always love a mix, mm. you know, um, taking consideration who the person is and kind of dress them in the opposite way that you think and create your own, you know. That's really cool. How, what led you to working with Madonna? Um, well, I had <clears throat> uh, Courtney Love, actually. I had done a movie with Courtney Love as a costume designer, The People vs. Larry Flint. And Courtney, I didn't know, but she was around. Uh, I was peripheral. We were both in the same kind of punk rock new wave scene in San Francisco when we were, you know, teenagers and, and right before I moved to New York. So I knew who Courtney was. And um, Courtney was cast in The People vs. Larry Flint, which was a really um, important movie for me. To um, That was a huge kind of hand up uh, from the director, Milos Forman, who um, passed away last year, amazing director. Um, to be able to do that movie was, was really big, you know, monumental in my career. And Courtney and I met on that movie, we became fast friends, a lot of people in common. We remain very close to this day. And as a kind of 
extension of that relationship for the movie, I went on to do her styling for Hole and, um, and worked with her for quite a bit. And um, she had, uh, she was friendly with Madonna at the time and um, Madonna, Courtney, and Tina Turner were asked to be on the cover of Rolling Stone in uh, Women in Rock issue, 1997. <laughs> and Madonna was in between stylists. She had just finished doing Evita. And Courtney, if I remember correctly, Courtney had recommended me uh, as her stylist for that photo shoot. And she called me and told me, and I said, you know what? Um, Tina Turner has her own stylist. I'm going to be styling you. Let Madonna have her own stylist. Like, I really honestly thought it was Courtney's way of trying to get the best dress. Like, I thought, <laughs> I don't want to be in the middle of these two divas yeah. and, like, one Galliano dress. Because at, at the time, we were going to, um, it was Galliano's first collection with Dior. And we were getting these beautiful couture dresses. She's like, no, no, no. You, 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 should, you should do this. So, um, and I said, no, please. Like, like, done deal. Let's not do this. So unbeknownst to me, she got my portfolio from my agent, wrote a note in it, sent it to Madonna. Next thing I knew, I was booked by Madonna. So I called her up and I said, I can't believe like, like you did this anyway against my wishes. And she said to me, stop thinking so below the line, which made <laughs> me laugh because that. that is a term below the line is a film term, an archaic term where everyone above the line are the directors, writers, actors, producers who make residuals and royalties. And everyone below the line is kind of like the cinematographer, the costume designer. So it's a very, it's a funny term. Like basically like raise up, rise up to your station, you can do this. So um, she's so clever and witty and so supportive that um, I, you know, I was like, it made me laugh. So that's how it started. I, so we did that photo shoot, uh, the cover of Rolling Stone. I could give you that. Yes. I have a, an original copy of that. Oh, my goodness. Cover of Rolling Stone from 1997. And that's how it all began. And then Madonna was promoting her record that was just coming out at that time, Ray of Light. And um, my next job she booked me on was a Q Magazine shoot with Rankin, the photographer, and then a video, uh, Frozen. Uh, the Frozen video that uh, uh, Chris Cunningham directed, famously. Amazing. And you've done so much with her. Yeah, it's since. been like, I think, tw going on 23 years. Yeah, it's been an incredible ride. And, um, you know, I've never taken for granted the loyalty and just mm. so grateful for it. Do you think there is, do you feel like there is a sort of sisterhood in this part of the industry, the style and entertainment industry? You were just talking about Courtney supporting you in that really nice way. Mm -hmm. Is that something you feel like? You yeah, must I mean, be aware sure. Of it I mean, twenty-three well. years of loyalty and yeah. and asking to come back uh, yeah. with Madonna is a, is a definite sisterhood, and um, uh, the support that I have gotten from like-minded women um, in this industry has been, um, you know, what has sustained me really mm -hmm. in um, in quite a um, what can be uh, uh, you know challenging business yeah. with uh, predominantly men has it changed and you feel a sea change recent with recent oh events? well um, yeah of course um, I feel yes I think for the better I mean just in terms of culturally uh, we've been in the midst of massive change um, you know I think that we find ourselves in this kind of cultural paradigm whether it's 
Brexit that that or you know the Donald Trumpian universe, um, and you know the the gift that we get from that is that people are becoming involved and becoming active and they're they're aligning with like-minded people and I find that um, you know talking straight back to the way that I was raised with my yeah. parents who you know um, took me on their shoulders to many um, uh, you know anti-war rallies and um, peace and, and freedom rallies. So um, I think that, you know, people have the power, yeah. as Patti Smith says. And I think that comes through in your styling. I don't know if you agree, but it's very powerful the way you present women and the styling that you do from Madonna to Courtney. Thank you. Um, it's a kind of fierce power to it, I think. Um, and I was wondering, when you're working with someone like Madonna, how does, is it something you sit down and talk through together? Um, or do you present her with what you think it should be? Or does she have a very strong idea and you um, work around that and complement it? What's the... Well, it's very organic, for one. And as, after so many years, we, we, um, we have a, a, a great way of communicating. <clears throat> of course, um, it's, it's many things. I mean, I always say that my work is kind of like jazz improv in that you kind of have to learn ballet. You have to learn the fundamentals. You have to have the skills to improv. So we, you know, in terms of reference and research, uh, Madonna, like myself, uh, that is a huge part of our process, uh, just in terms of, you know, for me with her, it always starts with the music when it comes to, you know, photo shoots or music videos. So it has to start with the music. and and the emotion and the the message that she has in her music and she's very thoughtful she's an incredible writer so uh, there's always a lot there and you know madonna is also this like you know iconoclast she's such a great performer that she has inhabited all these characters of different characters in her career that have been able to help kind of voice these messages that are relevant to her at that time that I think obviously have been uh, relevant culturally. So we, yeah, we, it's a collaboration. I mean, the thing that has kept me there is my uh, value. I've always felt incredibly valued in the creative process. And, you know, I think, you know, Madonna invites you to work with her. She expects uh, participation. She expects ideas. She expects you to bring something to the table. She's, you know, incredibly hardworking, often the most hardworking person on the set um, and the most experienced. So um, what's your favorite? Yeah. What's your what's the one your most memorable of her incarnations? Oh, it's impossible for me to to name that. Well, I think my favorite would be um, just like her Lucky Star era and Borderline, the first album, just in, just because she helped revolutionize and inform me as a young person about... That was before you were styling her. Yeah, before yeah. I was styling yeah. her, before I even met her, about DIY, like, or DIY, do it yourself. Like, she... The thing that's so cool is I've learned all these stories from her. So, like... I don't know, like if you can imagine, because girls used to copy her everywhere. She used to tie these little scarves in her head. Well, that was, she told me years later, were her fishnets from dance class. She would cut them up, she'd tie them in her hair, and, you know, everything was like, had a purpose. 
because she was a dancer. So it was very organic. It was very authentic. She was part, uh, integral part of the New York downtown scene with luminaires like, you know, Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat and, you know, Andy Warhol. This was her milieu. And she worked early on with a stylist um, who's kind of like the American Judy Blame, Maripol. Uh, Maripol, like Judy Blame, um, had an incredible line of jewelry that came out of this, these What's collaborations. What's Maripol doing these days? Um, uh, she published a book around. on Polaroids, uh, a really beautiful Polaroid book from her downtown years in New York. And uh, I know she's a mother. Um, I don't know her well, right. but, you know, she, like Judy Blame, um, really ha and Ray Petrie really had uh, big influence on me and Leigh Bowery and um, all these people who were uh, about, like, uh, DIY, doing it yourself and c coming from a place of self-expression and creating a tribe. Yes. And that is where I come from. That's what inspired me, and that's what I try and hold in a corporate fashion culture now where you know advertiser designers are advertisers and fashion editorial is dictated by advertising um, you know in the days when we used to do editorial back in the 80s and even the 90s we would you know I worked for years with David LaChapelle in the 90s and we would have designers make things for us based on ideas we had for the photo shoot or we would you know thrift things and cobble them together and I remember one time walking down the street in New York and meeting Anna Sui, who I didn't really know, who told me that she had had this story I had done for the face, styled for the Face magazine on her wall, on her workspace at her studio that inspired her next collection. And that always was what I thought my job was as a stylist, to inspire designers. But now, stylist jobs are to interpret, or like to take it off the runway. So for me, it's quite boring. Um, what fashions become editorially, these whole looks. You know, you, you do editorial shoots and you're told by a designer, you can't mix anything, you have to shoot the whole look. And for me, where's the creativity in that? I mean, perhaps it's my taste level of like, oh, I like that head to toe look, but it's just not interesting to me. So that's why I, um, I have, once the industry started changing and early on, I was always interested in film and moving images. So simultaneously, I moved from New York um, to LA to pursue film and a costume designer because I felt that the creativity in editorial and even in fashion advertising at, at that time was being dictated by um, kind of to me rather than I thought it was supposed to go the other way mm -hmm. where I was supposed to help inspire you know, advertising agencies or uh, fashion editors. So that's what... Um, encouraged me and also working in the narrative form. The thing about editorials, you can tell a story. So the wonderful thing about being a costume designer is you're part of telling that story yeah. in film. So that um, for me, you know, the thing that's kept me sustainable is uh, being able to switch different genres. And I always, you know, my criteria for agreeing to do a new project or something is that I haven't done it before and that it puts me in a state of fear. So um, I always feel that that's when I'm my most creative. You know, yeah. yeah, sorry. You've done, so you've done a lot of films, some really big films as well, and you've been nominated for some Oscars and a BAFTA. Um, I, was just, I was really interested to ask you about what is the difference between 
because you what you you do a lot of styling that sort of has a performative aspect it's for whether it's for an actor in a film or a musician performing on stage what is it what's the difference between pure fashion and that kind of styling that pushes it through to that level does it well, have to have I want to make the differentiation yeah because styling is really photography print it's like fashion editor work mm. or uh, red carpet uh, is also styling um, costume design film is costume design it's not styling so costume design is different than styling costume design is creating a character and using clothes to help inform that character which informs the story so they are really different jobs um, really different jobs and they have different skill sets what they have in common is clothing um, but it's uh, about identity and ultimately for me identity and transformation is at the heart of what inspires me so um, I can say that I've used that, applied that as a stylist in fashion print and editorial, and I've applied it as a costume designer when I've designed films. Uh, when I designed, I designed shows on Broadway and I did my first opera this past couple years. So, um, you know, they are different but similar. Mm. Before we finish, is there anything else that we need to put in the cabinet? I have only written down four things. Maybe there's one more thing. Um, what do you what, what what do you what's the most recent thing? And you just mentioned you styled an opera. I did. I uh, I my first opera uh, I designed, um, which was a co-production with the ENO in London, mm. the English National Opera, and the Metropolitan Opera, the, the Met opera? in New York. Um, it was called Marnie, and it was uh, original score by Nico Muley, who's an amazing composer. Uh, based on the novel Marnie, which was in, written by an English writer, and uh, the same um, story that was translated into the film that Alfred Hitchcock famously made with Tippi Hedren. You put that book in? I don't know. Uh, Marnie, yeah, that could be cool. That could be really cool. Um, and then, you know, or maybe something from my next movie that's yes. coming out. What is the next movie? Um, it's it's uh, premiering at Cannes. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, directed by Quentin Tarantino, and it will be in theaters end of July. What's what's he like? Quentin Tarantino yeah. is brilliant and um, one of the most incredible uh, sets I've ever been on, and it was an epic experience. You going and, to Cannes? Um, I think I'm going to go to Cannes. Yeah. I mean, why not? It's uh, it's it's I've never been, and um, I'm super excited about the movie and Quentin is you know they love Quentin at Cannes and I thought that would be a good 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 one to ride in on the coattails of <laughs> Quentin Tarantino <laughs> all right um well, Ariane thank you so much thank you um and good luck with your talk which I think you're doing after this oh I'm nervous <laughs> you're thank gonna be you great so thank you That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.